0: everyone welcome back to the extras my name is jack and i'm raj jack i think this is
1: your second last extras is that right
0: it is yeah and that's weird to say this will be the last time i'm hosting the extras i guess and next week i'll be back on and candy and i will be doing a bit of a handover she's going to be carrying the extras forward which i'm very excited about i think the podcast will be in very safe hands and looking forward to her getting to take our little question and answer ministry here at Forward uh, but I'll be on with her next time answering questions. So I'll this be, is
1: your last time as host. That's right yeah I and mean,
0: that's uh, yeah the end of an era it's been yeah one of the great joys for me in my time at St Paul's I you can probably tell whenever I am up on you know on a Sunday answering questions but I love Q&A like I think that this is such a wonderful part of our ministry yeah to have people across our church just wrestling with the bible and thinking hard and having an avenue for their questions to go in yeah I just love this so it's been a a real joy to get to be a part of this for the yeah. past couple of years. It's been great. Um, Raj, we've had a, well, you particularly have had a big week. We uh, were recording this on Friday. You've been away for most of this week down in Canberra. Would uh, you yeah. like to tell us a bit about how your week's been, what's been going on?
1: Yeah, yeah so, look, I've been at the GAFCON Australasia Conference for most of this week. Um, I, I am a big supporter of GAFCON, have been for many, many years. I was at the GAFCON Nairobi Conference in 2013. I was at the Jerusalem 2018 GAFCON conference. For those who may have heard that
0: word GAFCON a lot and think, "What's going on here?" Just 30 seconds. Sure, What's it all about? Seconds.
1: What it's all about the um, Global Anglican Futures Conference is where the title comes from, mm. and really, it it has it's a movement would be the best way to put it that has arisen within Anglicanism um, in response to and the catalyst of so many across the world calling themselves Anglican. And yet, moving away from um, orthodox biblical teaching. Yeah. And the touchstone of those issues is in the area of um, the Bible's teaching on sexuality and marriage. But there, there is a significant underlying issue, which is, I would say, and you would agree, and many of us would, some would agree, the authority of God's word. Yeah. And what is the technical term is revisionist teaching, which is, which has been creeping up around the world, um, or liberalism, as we sometimes call it. And really it's taking passages of Scripture and reading them from the lens of culture and ending up in quite different places.
0: Yeah. Some will have heard the news this week that apparently we have a new Anglican church in Australia as of last weekend. Could you let us know a little bit about what's that all about and... Do we at St Paul's need to be concerned oh, or anything? Jack, now you're saying like the Sydney Morning Herald. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what people were about, so you, know, you can come on um, as you wish. So, look,
1: what's happened in Australia, for, for me, who's been an active supporter of GAPCON for 10 years, it's this is just the next kind of step mm. um, in Australia. It's been happening around the world for, in fact, more than 10 years. Yeah. You know, In North America, it was, I think, even 15 years ago, the Anglican Church in North America... Was launched exactly the same thing um, in the context of a denomination, Anglican denomination, Episcopal denomination in the US um, that was quite actively um, um, targeting people wanting who are holding on to traditional orthodox biblical views, mm. and they were being evicted from properties and a whole bunch of other things. And so, so the question then becomes: What is going to happen as a support structure for? For churches who love the Bible, who hold to the authority of the Bible, who understand the Bible in orthodox ways in accordance with the Book of Common Prayer and 39 articles. And so, what what that's been there in many other places around the world, like most continents now, or if not most, several, um, um, and that is the setting up of a new diocese for churches to affiliate with. Mm. Now, that dynamic has been underway here in Australia. I went to General Senate in May, which I think we've talked about on a previous episode. Yeah, came back, and actually it was I wasn't going to go to GAFCON. Life is hectic and busy, but but I then decided coming back. No, these issues are significant. I mm. talked to people at General Senate as well who were under threat, who didn't know what their future looked like, who didn't know if they're going to be licensed, if they're going to have buildings. I decided then to go yeah. to GAFCON Australia to support them and the movement. Uh, and so this Diocese of the Southern Cross has been now set up. Um, as a diocese, I guess in parallel to, you know, the traditional Anglican structures, so that congregations in liberal dioceses who are under threat or being evicted by their archbishop, and we heard of one just tragic story, they can affiliate with the Diocese of the Southern Cross mm. and meet in some way. So yep. so one church just last Sunday had its... It's not like they were saying, you know, we want to come over. They were kicked out. Yeah, sure. And, and given, it was horrific, Jack, mm. uh, you know, seven, to 14 days notice not to use their buildings, not to meet, not, wow. what do we do? Yeah. And, and sorry, you only wanted 30 seconds <laughs> so you can now <laughs> press my button. That's okay, um, oh, people will be interested um, in, to hear this, and, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we we heard the story, this guy from the Arch- Archbishop of Brisbane, I'm happy to name it, um, um, gave him seven, 14 days notice, he said, where are we going to meet? Mm. He went to the RSL club, he told the story and said, will you rent me some premises so I can... They said, no, we won't rent it to you. We'll give it to you. Oh, wow. 40 people turned up for church, which was mm. more than what was previously meeting. Um, and, and they met first time last Sunday. Yeah. So there's, there's churches like that. Now, St Paul's isn't one of these churches. Mm. St Paul's in the Diocese of Sydney that is very strong in holding to the Bible. Nothing is going to change for us at all. Mm. Um, our licensing, our property issues, our governance, our, all, none of that's going to change at all for us. But, but this is about us providing, it's not just us, it's, it's really, you know, Bible-believing Anglicans around the country um, um, providing a, a mechanism for those. And again, in the last few days, I heard stories, Jack, from around the country mm. where people, certainly Brisbane's one of those places, but other places as well yeah so that's what it's about in a, in a nutshell yeah um that's a really helpful yeah. snapshot
0: and if you are keen interested to find out more uh, get in touch with us so we can uh, link you up with other sort of explanations of what's been going on but yeah in many ways a sad time that this had to happen but it's also uh, an exciting time that we have this way to encourage and support the work of Jesus loving Bible believing Anglicans across the whole country so yeah a time where we Need to be praying for our national church, but yeah, thanks for yeah. You know, a bit of a. And we're
1: just saying, sorry, Jack. You want me mm-hmm. to? You want to move on to ecclesiastes, <laughs> but but Foley Beach, who is the the chair of GAFCON International, he gave a stirring address on Wednesday night. I hope it will be made publicly available, uh, and he explained his own story and what's been happening in America. And his encouragement to us here is: in America, fifteen years down the track, it now is. Um, GAFCON-affiliated churches that are most on the front foot in proclaiming Jesus to the nations, mm. um, and and there's a whole bunch of we, we could have whole extras episodes on why that dynamic is. Yeah. But but he just said they are reaching people. Mm. They had to make those hard decisions. They had to have clarity about their purpose and their mission. Um. And and so I'm sure the same thing's going to happen here. Yeah. But we are at a phase now where we just supporting others and providing that platform is important. Yeah. I'm glad to have
0: you doing that. Thanks, rog. Uh Someone wise once said, there's a time for everything. Uh, there's a time for talking about Gathcon. There's a time for <laughs> talking about Ecclesiastes. That's the time we come There's your segue check. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've been thinking of it for a while. There we go. Uh, yeah, we had a great time in Ecclesiastes chapters 3 and 4 over the, the weekend. Uh, and lots of questions coming in, which is great. We're going to get into a chunk of them today. Um, first off, someone wanted to text in a, a quick correction. Uh, someone said, just wanted to correct the Act 17 references. Uh, the verse number given was verse 3. It is, in fact, verse 23, uh, which is right. So thanks for that correction. We, we think there might have been a typo on the slide or something like that. But... I,
1: I do it from time to time just to see who's on their toes. So thank you very much <laughs> to the one person, in right. St. Paul, who picked it up. am glad someone noticed. That's right. Yeah, we wanted... I'm sure it was one of mine, not Sam's, too. Uh, yeah, there you go. Anyway... Uh, Another question. Someone's asked, what's the pop song called? Yes, I think that's probably a reference to... Uh, both Sam and I referred to the song Turn, Turn, Turn mm. is the name that's given. Um, now, some wouldn't regard it as a pop song per se, but um, in the 1960s, <laughs> perhaps it was. Yeah, okay, there you go.
0: I find it very interesting. I, I've never heard the song Turn, 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 but I know if I were ever to preach on Ecclesiastes 3, I would have to mention the song because... Every, it's, it's, even every commentary seems to mention the song. It's just this, this thing that was obviously before my time, but I guess for, for those who uh, were around, it must have been, you know, if anyone knows anything about Ecclesiastes, it must have been that song. So, yeah, you can clearly see the impact that it had even in the, the, the literature on Ecclesiastes. So, good to know that it's there for any time I have to preach on it too. Um, one other quick one, someone asked Raj, "What did your friend mean about loving his wife?" There was a little illustration yes, a little
1: a little illustration look, I think um, well, I know what he meant was you know he he would try to work out ways that he could proactively um, um, put, turn his mind to loving his wife, giving her flowers, doing something for her, serving her in i don 't know doing the dishes or whatever it might whatever the love language might be. Mm. Now, my point in talking about it is that was his way of trying to take control of the time mm. and program it in through the week. And and th- that's why I talked about it. That's yeah, yeah. what I mean. I'm sorry if it wasn't helpful, but
0: anyway. No, it's okay. Good to clarify. All right. A few little quick ones there to get out of the way. Uh, we're going to get into the meat of this now. Someone texted in uh, a question that. Maybe our shortest question ever, and perhaps one that is more important than than many others we've ever had. Uh, Someone has tested in, is God real? Hard to have a
1: more significant question than that. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. So there's two different ways I could perhaps take this question, Mm. and we can both comment too, Jack. So one is just, in the absence of Ecclesiastes, is God real? Mm. Um, Let's just start there. I think that's the significant one. And... Of course, the answer is yes. Mm. Um, people of St. Paul's will be pleased to know that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, um, um,
0: uh, my, my heart was in my throat. I didn't know what you were doing, right? <laughs> but I yeah, expected you might have said that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I guess, look, <laughs> l- let me just you know put some more on that. Um, we live in a world that in no small part has been, or doesn't, the full revelation of God's work in the world is not clear. Mm. We see elements of it. And I think in Ecclesiastes 3, you know, we, we talk about, it talks about eternity being in the hearts of, like in the human heart. Yeah. You know, there is just one example, I think I tapped into just the, the, the beauty of creation. that mm. um, um, Different places of the Bible talk about Romans 1, Psalm 19 and so on. But, but from those things, we don't have a, the full total picture. Mm. And we need God's full revelation that he has given us in his word, the Bible. Yeah. And, and that's where we see God's full plans and full purposes that culminate in the Lord Jesus mm. being sent into the world, dying on the cross, rising from the dead so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have hope of a future. Yeah. The fact that God has done that in itself tells us that He's real mm. um, and not just that He's real, but He loves us and the extent to which He will go through to care for us and to express that love, um, etc. Yeah. Um, mm. Now, please come back to that if you would like to, Jack but but, maybe another way the question can be taken in the context of Ecclesiastes um, is you know the comments here about God in particularly in verses eighteen through to twenty you know is God real from the eyes of the in the eyes of the teacher who's making those comments? might be another way it could be taken mm. and and I think you know there you know there's we can talk about this for ages, you and I, Jack. But mm-hmm. there's this term under the sun. That's the perspective, and what the teacher is doing, I take it, is just he's reflecting on the facts. You know, he's pausing, he's stopping. A great encouragement for us to do so, and he's just trying to think about, you know, as people do today, um, because we have eternity in our hearts. Yeah, we do stop and think about God, mm. even without that full revelation.
0: Yeah,
1: and and I think that's what he's doing here. Mm. Um, and I think my illustration, I use statistics on this, um, that I can't remember now, my own statistics, but it was something like 54% of Australians last year said, said that there was God or a higher power, and of over 18% said they weren't sure. Yeah, that's right. 56%, 18%, so a mm. total of 74% combined. Yeah. This is the reality it's talking about, mm. that, that we can't help but stop and think about what God is doing, even though we don't know his full picture.
0: Yeah. And sometimes when you listen to the secular media, you get the impression that it sounds like, you know, 95% of Australians out there just think that the whole idea of being a God is ridiculous. That's the, you know, version that you get from the, from the elite. That's not the reality on the ground, as I think that you, you've shown us, that for the most people out there around us, yeah, the idea that God is out there is what most people will think or suspect. Um, yeah, I think it's, that's worth remembering maybe just a couple of quick things to say depending where you're coming from asking this question if you're someone who is checking out christianity and you're not sure what you think about god um i'd encourage you to pick up the bible and have a read uh we believe that god has revealed himself through the scriptures and that this is the place where god meets us first and foremost so if you've never read the bible pick one up and have a read through mark's gospel and and meet jesus and see what he's like and and see uh, who he is and what he's done and uh, we believe that that's how God comes to meet us so that's a place to start. If you are texting that in as someone who's a Christian but you're, you're having doubts uh, I want to encourage you to again know that that's not uh, a strange thing that from you know many of us go through these times it's not a weird thing and St Paul's is a place where we want you to be able to express those so yeah text your questions in that's great but maybe even better would be to open up to a growth group leader or a trusted christian friend and and share those struggles uh, and again uh coming back to jesus he is he is where we see god most clearly if if jesus was raised from the dead then there's no other way that could happen than if god did it so coming back to the cross and the resurrection and, and seeing why that's uh, an event that we can trust uh, i think it's really
1: important so I encourage you to have a think about all those things yeah and also, maybe just worth mentioning, Jack, Hope Explored is starting in September. Yeah. Uh, for people mm. who may want to get into this in a, you know, a group. You can say little or much or ask questions or listen to questions of others or whatever it is. So, great opportunity to yeah uh, reflect on God, um, but also hope.
0: Yeah, nice one. Yeah. Head to the St. Paul's website to check out Hope Explored. All right. We'll get into the The text of Ecclesiastes, proper. That's where a number of our questions start. One person's asked uh, these times in verses one to eight of chapter three. You know, time to be born, time to die, so on. Are the times set and established by God?
1: Um. Thank you. Look, I. Yes and no is my answer. All right. Unpack that for us. So, yes, you know, God has indeed. put in place seasons and so we see here you know verse 2 a time to plant and a time to uproot mm. um, but at the same time we, we, must, we must remember Ecclesiastes is written this side not just of creation but the fall mm. and so there are things in here that, um, that are a result of the fall and when Jesus returns will no longer be the case so there's so yes and no yeah okay just depending on you know which particular one you're talking about
0: yeah there's so certainly times that god has directly established as part of creation so obvious ones would be you know the seasons and the cycle of planting and reaping like that's very much tied into the world that god set up yeah but some of these ties are related to the sin that human beings have brought yeah. into the world as well Verse
1: say the time to love and the time to hate yeah you know and we've been talking it's been Ecclesiastes is talking about oppression. Mm. Um, oppression has come because of the fall. Yeah, it right. is right for us to look at oppression and hate it.
0: Mm. Yeah, and yet, I mean, it's the teachers point, like there is a time for it in this world. Like that's yeah. not necessarily a good thing, but just the way this world goes. There's these cycles, and it comes and it goes, and it comes it's and it it goes. a feature of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, picking up one of these that we mentioned, verse three: uh, a time to kill and a time to heal. Raj, when is it time to kill?
1: I was going to see if you wanted to
0: have a take at that one, Jack. <laughs> um, oh, I um, I can think of a few things. I mean, one of the things that I think is worth saying is um, it makes me think of, you know, the Ten Commandments. I think that sometimes people think that, the you know, the Ten Commandments says, like, you shouldn't kill. Like, killing's always wrong. But the Ten Commandments, uh, it's a little bit more, I think, specific than that. Like, I think thou shalt not murder is more what's going on there. Like, I think you see times throughout the Bible where Uh, where killing is right. Um, I mean, the whole idea that Christians have had about war is interesting. I mean, you know, even at the end of this chapter, a time for war, a time for peace. um, There is a time to go to war, I think. Uh, The idea of a just war is something that Christian theologians have thought about throughout the ages, that there is a time when, you know, if your people are under attack and, you know, defenceless, vulnerable people are subject to the aggression of a hostile power, it's it's right to take up arms and defend the defenseless. Like there is a time when it's right to, you know, go to war and, you know, if you're a Ukrainian Christian right now, I imagine that you'd be wrestling with this, you know, and I to be honest, I don't if I was there, I don't think it'd be much of a wrestler, I think obviously the right thing is to defend your people and defend your homeland, you know, if there's that kind of thing going on. So, I mean the context of war, as much as it's horrific and it's awful, in our fallen world it has its place and there's a time in that context to kill, I think. When it means defending people who are defenceless, that's, that's perhaps one of the times where it's time to kill. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Would you want to add anything? Uh, um, the key in your question was want, and the answer is no, but I will nonetheless. <laughs> um, this gets us into some really tricky territory. Mm. You know, so capital punishment comes to mind. Yeah. And, mm. and now don't get me wrong, I would not want to be put in that position and have any part of that process. Mm. And yet at the same time, the Bible does talk about judgment. Yeah. And, you know, if you think of some of the horrific things that have happened over history, Adolf Hitler. Mm. And, you know, um, we live in between the, in the overlap of the ages, but the Bible itself talks about a time of judgment. Yeah. You know, and the nature of that is eternal death. Mm. So, anyway, uh, yeah. I, I want... I to, it's not something I want to talk about, <laughs> but this is the extras, Jack, so... <laughs> that's right, it's a very good
0: deep. Yeah, capital punishment, I think it's something that's come up on the extras before in my time, and I can't remember exactly when, but, it's, yeah, it's, it's something that is a huge discussion, and I'm not an expert, and it's obviously something that's, you know, particularly most Western countries are opposed to now, and there's, there's, there's reasons why. Um, the Bible itself, I think that you see multiple points where God gives authority to governments to, to take the life of people who do wrong. Like it's there in Genesis 9, you know, God says, anyone who spills the blood of another, like their blood should be spilled. Uh, Romans, sorry, what did I say? It's Genesis 9. Um, Romans 13, it's, you know, we looked at that last term. The, the government's been given authority to bear the sword. And I don't think that's just a metaphor. Like I think that that's a, there's a context in which governments have authority to take life so um, whatever we think about that and whether it's wise in our context to you know advocate for that like i'm not suggesting that but theologically i think that there is this place for uh, for appointed authorities to take life when wrong has been done and justice must be given part of the way god executes his justice is through those human means so certainly times when killing is wrong and you know crimes of passion and you know, it's not for us to just take life and take vengeance and eye for eye, all of that stuff's off the table, but uh, in the right context for appointed authorities, it seems there is a time to kill. There's, yeah, there's a whole can of worms that we've just sort of ricocheted off, but um, hopefully there's something there. But for. you're
1: fleeing to the other side of a world in a few weeks, Jack, so you can... You know. <laughs> 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 that's right, if you want to come in, come and
0: lynch me, you've got about two weeks to do it. Yeah, that's right. Let's keep going. Anyway, uh, someone's made a comment. I think it's important to reflect on the seasons in Versus 1 to 8. In the light of the beautiful, in verse eleven, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Time is a tyrant, so we ought not fight it, but go with the seasons and follow God and eternity. Yeah. How do we make sense of those times in light of verse eleven as well?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um look, this is a great question, and one of those questions that just you know gets you thinking more deeply, so I really appreciate it. We don't have time on Sundays to get into Everything, but this is why we have the extras. Mm. Um, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So my overall read of verse 11 is just, first half of verse 11 is just to say, it's underlining verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Mm. Um, there is a, He's made everything beautiful in its time. Yeah. So, so what is right and beautiful and good and appropriate in one time is not. The times going to change. Mm. Yeah, so that's how I read that. Yeah. Um, but happy for you to comment as well, Jack.
0: I wouldn't want to add anything. I don't think. I think that that's right. Yeah. And we
1: do that. Okay. cool. Yeah.
0: We can keep going. We had a, a bunch of questions texted in about verse twenty-one of chapter three. So the teacher's talking about our fate as human beings is like the animals, you know, animals die, we die. Verse 21, he says, Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? To sum up a bunch of questions about that, I'll just pick one. Someone's asking, what's going on with that verse? Should that be seen as some kind of pre-Christian perspective? And maybe more broadly, you know, he seems pretty ambivalent about life after death, if you like. Yeah, Yeah, what's going on with verse 21?
1: Yeah, thank you. So, let me just read, um, i go from verse 20, Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. 3, verse 20. Uh, all, he's talking about humans and he's talking about um, animals in verse 19. Then verse 20, all go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. Mm-hmm. Now, all of this is happening. Um, it's It's not both Sam and I have just tried to talk about Ecclesiastes. It's not like in a New Testament epistle that's making objective kind of, you know, propositional truth, if I can use a technical term. Mm-hmm. It's, it's inviting us into this exploration. And what's going on here is, this is the under the sun kind of perspective, yeah, uh, which is about observation and what we see without having God's full picture in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's elements of God there. and And so one of the questions being raised is, when you look at the animals and when you look at the humans, verse 20, all go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, um, and so verse 21, you ponder and you explore that a little bit more. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? We assume that, but how do we know? Mm. That's the exploration. And um, um, And you extend that exploration out and you then come to verse 22 so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot uh, for who can bring them to see what will happen after them how do we know mm. just on the basis of under the sun on the basis of observation without knowing God's full picture Yeah, that's the exploration which then means you know, end of verse 19 just reflecting on these things it all looks the same between humans and between animals everything is many. Mm. the continual refrain for it frame we see.
0: Yeah. So you're saying you think it's it's less him making an emphatic point. The spirits of humans do not go upwards. It's more him saying, based on what we know, how can I give you an answer? How like, do we know? Yeah. It? What does yeah. it
1: look like? We and, and you know in the modern day you go to a funeral we're not good at engaging with funerals I think these days, but it's it's a continual thing we see. We we bury Mm. Just like the animals. Yeah.
0: Ecclesiastes has something interesting to say about that as well, doesn't it? Seven verse two. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Yeah. You're better off going to the funeral than to the party if you wanna understand human nature and our destiny and where we're going. That's a it's not something that our world would probably put on a you know, put on an Instagram reel or anything like that at the moment. No. Yeah, I find, I mean, yeah, like I think what you said is helpful. Um, a bit broader, I mean, one of the questions I'm interested in is the whole question of like Old Testament eschatology. Like, what did the Old Testament saints and authors think about life after this life? Um, it's a question that is a bit disputed, I guess, and it's not um, hard to work out. I'm sorry, it is hard to work out exactly what's going on, but um, I get the sense that the Old Testament saints didn't necessarily have this, you know really strong developed idea that, you know, when we die there's gonna be a new creation and we're gonna be raised and we're gonna have this new existence. You see hints of it towards the end of the Old Testament, like Daniel chapter twelve is where it finally comes out as like, you know, the dead, both the righteous and the wicked will be raised to judgment. But for most of the Old Testament, like, the expectation seems to be you die and you go to shoal you go to the grave, you go to the ground and that's it. And Ecclesiastes is pretty pessimistic about that. Like I'm working on chapter nine, which we'll see in a couple of weeks where probably the teacher at is bleakest where he says you know we die and then that's it and the dead have no more part in what happens in the world and it's over
1: kind of thing i thought i'd give you that sermon as your last one you i know, know yeah it's
0: maybe. gonna be a it's gonna be a bit of a kind of <laughs> mic drop we're all gonna die I'll, I'll see you on the other side i guess <laughs> yeah i'm kind of looking forward to that anyway um but yeah like i think that we've got to remember this is the pre-christ like this is only part way through god's revelation that when jesus comes and you see him Raising people from the dead, and then yeah. see him raised from the dead, and then him declaring that we will be raised from the dead. Like that's something that's new
1: in the New Testament in its yeah. clarity. So, and and then the other thing we do rightly is we read the Old Testament through New Testament eyes, mm. um, and so those hints you're talking about other places as well, you know, Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel. Mm. Um, we we read we read that into it quite rightly, yeah. But to d- distinguish out on the extras between how people. In Old Testament times, understood this and how they would have heard these words is is just is very helpful too.
0: Yeah, awesome. Good question there. Thanks for texting that in. Let's keep going, Uh, Raj. You you made a I I think quite a fascinating point. Thinking about verse fourteen, God does everything God does to endure forever, and nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. You talked a bit about fear. Yeah. Um, I think the question sort of summarizes your point. Someone's asked, "How does the tension that things don't make sense?" How does that help us fear a God who usually loves orderliness?
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, yes, I did. And, you know, when I was looking at this text, um, I just, those words left off the page to me. Mm. Because we're going through all of this, all of these seasons, some your powers to control others, the best you can do is act in accordance with them and, and so on. Yeah. Um, why is it like this? You know, and and then I came to verse... Fourteen. God does it so that people will fear him. And I just think it's... So I could talk about this, I mean, so Ecclesiastes 3, but also throughout the whole Bible, mm. um, you just see time after time after time when things are going well for people, you become self-centred. You know, Jesus, it's it's easier for a camel to go through the eye than for a rich man to enter for the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, and... There's one side of that coin. The other side of that coin is Romans eight, a that that is groaning, yeah, and and waiting to be released. Um, another side, you know, another signs of the last times, earthquakes, famines. Mm. So, so all through the Bible, there's just this this same tension he's talked about. Yeah. When things are going well, we just don't, you know, Amos, the judgment of God is coming, so the mm. people will be shaken up. Malachi. It, like everywhere, yeah. Um, and the way that God so often works in the Bible is when things aren't going well; mm. it makes us stop. Yeah. So in the Bible, then our own experience, I think, is exactly the same. Mm. When things are going well, you just you just keep going. You get yeah. You're on the merry-go-round, or you get sucked into you know pleasure or wealth or whatever. Um, when there's a crisis. So I think it's a very dangerous prayer to pray, for example, um, that God might do whatever it takes so that someone will fear Him. Yeah. Because often what that means is um, a, a circuit breaker in the flow of life yeah. It's painful and difficult, but gets you thinking about what it means to fear God. Yeah.
0: Severe mercy, often needed. Yeah. To circle back to the question, the idea of orderliness is interesting. Like, God made an order creation in the beginning. He is a God of order. And yet, disorder is what's been imposed on the creation because of the fall. Like, groaning, futility, Romans 8. And yet even that, it's not like God's just opened the floodgates to chaos and now it's just, there's no order at all. Like, even the judgment that God has brought is part of His working all things towards bring everything together in Christ. So, it's not like God's out of control. Like, disorder might not be the most self word. Like, it's it's a, Thank you, that's it's a very yeah. intentional purposeful
1: yeah.
0: calamity that God has brought yeah. on our world in judgement yeah. for the purpose of restoration in the end yeah. 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 God's still in control Cool. Uh, someone's asked would you say that the opacity of life's times and seasons remains this side of Christ even though the hope of resolution is now clear
1: um, that's a great question too I think I would say yes yeah,
0: so let's dig into that. I guess there's a question about how to. I mean, the question behind the question is probably how do we relate to Ecclesiastes as Christians? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is kind of the question we've been wrestling the whole way along, right? It's like, the whole like, way along. <laughs> the big question. Yeah,
1: and it's also just why we start in Ecclesiastes, looking at the frame of first half of chapter one, back end of the last bit of Ecclesiastes twelve. Mm. That gives you this framework of there's this exploration of the teacher. There's a question being set up. And where it lands is this whole thing. In fact, we're saying we've just been talking about fear God mm. and keep his commandments. And in Ecclesiastes and the Old Testament, as we've just been talking about, they did not have a full understanding of what that means. We do. Yeah. Now, now it's often talked about, you know, the now and the not yet. Mm. Christ, has, Christ has come. He's died yeah. on the cross. He's done everything needed. Um, but he's going to return the chaos of this world that we were just talking about not quite disorder, but chaos into order. Mm. Um, that is that is still part of this world we see all around us. Yeah, and and so we know that there is resolution, hope of resolution in the question, but it's also it's clear it's it's a certain hope. Mm. Um, but but we still live with the consequences of the fall.
0: Yeah,
1: and and so we've been talking about these seasons. Some of them are part of the creation, but some of them are part of the fall. Mm. And we still live with that in this world. What Ecclesiastes does in the context of the Bible, I think, is give us the key to having perspective about God's work and um, therefore being more content to live in this world Mm. with that future resolution coming. Yeah, yeah, that's well said.
0: One of the issues that comes out is I think that one of the temptations as Christians is to... Sort of read Ecclesiastes, see what he's saying, and then jump to Jesus and say, "Well, everything that Ecclesiastes said is sort of meaningless now." Sorry, that's kind of, a <laughs> bad choice of words. Or um, uh, well, maybe it's a good choice. Yeah, of the meaningless is, is meaningless because Christ has brought the meaning, and you just kind of throw Ecclesiastes yeah. away because it's been replaced. But I think the way you've helped us see it there is a better way to see it. It's not that Jesus like nullifies Ecclesiastes, but we have something else added on top of it, like the the, the fleeting, elusive. Hevel creation we have is still with us that's sort of superimposed on that, the new creation has started and we live with both because we're in the overlap so yes we still need to listen to Ecclesiastes but we don't finish with Ecclesiastes because there's more revelation in Christ there's more revelation and
1: and Jack what you've just said that's our experience of the world too Mm. we go through challenge and difficulty and pain and the tension which we've been talking about here Um, we get sucked into thinking about pleasure and we get this coming week wealth is the topic Mm. same thing yeah 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 we'll get there in a minute
0: all right uh one person is i guess reading ecclesiastes 3 and extrapolating and asked a couple questions actually came in on this theme uh does all this mean we can say that god causes us to die is god the one who's responsible for
1: us dying i guess is the question um thank you good question I think the place to start, when, in, when the Bible talks about why it is that human life is now limited, the biblical answer to that is the fall. Mm. Back in Genesis 3. Um, that is the point at which... That's the source of human life now being limited. Yeah. And it's when Jesus reverses the curses that there is going to be eternal life. Mm. Um, now that is not quite answering this question in the way that it's there. Yeah. But but I, I I just put it in that way, Jack, and you might have a comment too, because as you look at the Bible that's where you know, Hebrews nine twenty seven, the classic two ways to waste live verse someone somewhat no man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Yeah. And so that those things are linked. Mm. Um, but arise because of the fall and judgment then comes because of that, that fall yeah. which is necessary before life Yeah. Yeah. so
0: the fact that we die is very much from the hand of God that's the wages of sin is death like the fact that our lives don't go on forever in the fall is 100% that's God's doing like no doubt about that Um. yeah can you then say that yeah, whenever any individual human dies, like, that was, you know, God kind of, you know, aiming the kind of sniper rifle and then pop, like, you know, that's, did God pull the trigger? Like, is that too far to say, I guess? Maybe that's the, the, where this question really...
1: Yeah, look, that's, that's one place the question goes. Mm. And, and um, I, I think it's too much to say to make it one for one. Mm. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. And, you know, you go back to the, the massacres of the world, mm. which happen so frequently, it's tragic. But the way I think of it is you have a, you know, a gunman, for whatever reason, who pulls the trigger. Mm. And on the one, there's different ways of looking at that, you know, because that does have an impact on innocent people. Yeah. So, you know, there's a generic thing of because we live in a fallen world, those things happen, and people. And at the same time, the illustration doesn't work 100% because we're not innocent.
0: Mm, yeah, indeed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a big
0: question. We've, we've again, we've wrestled with this in the podcast before. Is this ties into God's sovereignty over evil and how that works. Um, I, can't, I say this every few weeks, and I, I watch the, the, the listen count go up again, but if you want to dig into that much deeper. The predestination specials that Sam and I recorded September, October last year, go back and have a look at that. We, we wrestle this in much more detail there. But this is really a, a, a big, you know, it's related to the fact that people do evil and they're responsible for that. And yet God's not letting that run out of control. Like God stands sovereignly over it. So I think it's right to say that killing is wrong and people who kill people, that's bad. Um, and yet... Our days are numbered by God, and He holds our times and our seasons in our hands. And it's not like that escapes His control. Um, I'm reminded of Psalm 90, which I opened up, which is the, the famous line: "Is you know, teach us to number our days." That's this is um, Moses's prayer, and it says things like verse three: "God, you turn people back to dust," saying, "Return to dust, you mortals." Verse five: "You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger." Terrified by our indignation, we are sinners in the hands of uh, an angry God. We're subject to His judgment and His ordained rule over our lives. So, I think at the end of the day, we say yes. Like the time to born and the time to die, all of that comes from God. Even if sometimes the the means and the methods involved, there's accountability and there's evil and there's people responsible. Yeah, yeah, that's all part of life under the sovereign God. I think.
1: And uh, Jack, I think you've alluded to this, and I know that on the Extended extras, you will talk a lot about this, but sometimes this question can be asked. I'm not saying that's in this case, but our minds work in quite a binary way. You know, God caused it, therefore I have no part, mm-hmm. and that's that's not right here. Yeah, you know, yes, God is certainly involved in you know, the wages in his death, death, as you said, but at the same time, we're very much part of. Mm. You know, we are responsible yeah. there's stuff we live this side of the fall but we're also part of that totally Yeah. yeah. sorry you weren't saying anything different but no, that no 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 because
0: yeah. there's, there's lots to say and you can keep rolling yeah. it out but yeah we might draw a line there and go back and listen to that one again if you, if you want to dig in more let's keep going uh, a couple more questions before we finish uh, someone's asked this is a long one let me see if I can sort of summarise the question as we go Uh, When we know ultimate judgment comes from God, which is one of the things we see in Ecclesiastes 3, sort of verse 17, um, when you know judgment comes from God, how do we interpret instances in the Bible, such as in the Psalms, where the writer asks God to bring revenge and judgment to his enemies or oppressors? Um, This person mentions a couple of examples, like in the prophets, Nahum does a similar kind of thing. Um, Yeah, how do we balance thinking, okay, God's going to bring judgment one day, but also what's the place of perhaps praying for judgment like in the here and now give you a question to scan your eyes sorry moment to scan your eyes over that question as well there's another classic awesome you know radio moment listen to that dead air how good's that great great content that's true yeah the rain's coming down yeah I mean maybe while you're thinking I I can you know think of the classic example in the Psalms is um, Psalm 137 this is the one that um, interesting thing, I heard recently that in the, in, the, in the Book of Common Prayer, like, lectionary readings where they read through the Psalms, Psalm 137, I think at some point, I don't know if it's every prayer book, but at some point Psalm 137 gets left out. It's, um, it's the line, another pop song, By the Rivers of Babylon. We sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Um, it's this picture of the exiles in Jerusalem mourning the destruction that's happened. And it ends up, um, verse 8, Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You don't think, whoa. Like, here's this kind of invocation, like, blessed is the one who takes Babylonian babies and kills them. Like, when you have that kind of thing going on in the Psalms and these pictures of, like, temporal justice happening now, what do we make of that? You can sell that if you want. I mean, that's it's, it's probably the most, like, you know... Emotionally distressing example of all of this, but um, yeah, thank do you, you want to take it, back? There, Jack. <laughs> Yeah, like what do we uh, what do yeah. we make of these kinds of things?
1: Look, I think the key part of this question is just is here: how do we balance between the now and the promise of ultimate judgment from God, um, um in today's prayer and being part of today's world? Mm. And this is the tension in which we live. Yeah, which is illustrated by that. Psalm heart-wrenching psalm mm. and many other places we've seen the bible yeah and um yeah i think i want to keep praying for the world but i also want to keep praying for god's justice to be done mm. yeah. yeah and all of that just makes me long for the world to come yeah and i think that's part of again the i talked about this in ecclesiastes 3 in my sermon which is pushing past the tension we keep living in mm. and trying to lift my heart and eyes above that. Yeah. yeah. Which is where Ecclesiastes ends up, and I think it's why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible, mm. to take us through the exploration, and so that's where, may, that's where we may end up. Yeah.
0: So yeah, thank you. Do you want to add anything to that, Jack? Um, I think Romans 12 is helpful. I mean, we looked at this again. You know, last term, thinking about is that right? Feels like a long time ago, but I think it was just last Most term. Last, yeah. yeah, Romans twelve, the end of the chapter, I think, is the sort of New Testament place where that this whole issue is dealt with. It's talking about vengeance and justice, and the Lord says it's mine to repay. I will revenge. I will avenge. Um, I think the key thing there is, uh, we're not called to take justice into our own hands as people who believe in judgment. Yeah, we can entrust the injustice to God. I don't think that makes it wrong to pray for justice now. Like, we know that justice will come in the end, at the latest. I think the Psalms show us that it's right for, for praying for justice now. That's a prayer that we can't always expect to see answered, this side of the new creation. But one day, justice will come in full. Um, yeah, people toss around the question, like, is it still right for us to pray those Psalms? Like, given that the New Testament, Jesus adds this much stronger tone of, you know, turn the other cheek and... Um, Non retaliation. Like, I think Jesus is arguing against over retaliation. Um, again, like, go back and listen to the podcast about Romans 12, because I think I remember Sam and I wrestling with this in some depth. But at the end of the day, whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer and pray, um, let your kingdom come, we're calling on God to bring justice and to bring judgment upon wicked people. Like, that's part of the prayer we pray, even as New Testament Christians. So, yeah, judgment is never never far away from the things we're praying for I think yeah so much to say but maybe we'll draw a line there again yeah I think so All right, Uh, three to go someone's asked how will the new creation be meaningful to us in quotes perhaps in contrast to the Hevel meaningless Ecclesiastes word Um, how will the new creation be meaningful and will we still need to work in the
1: new creation some great questions there Mm. I you know my mind and my heart, for that matter, goes just to the images at the end of Revelation Yeah. about what that new creation will be like. Mm. Um, now, there's lots and lots of books written about what new creation will be like. My own view is Revelation is trying to draw pictures for us mm. and it's a mistake to draw too much into the, the details of it. But we just see this picture at the Revelation 22 just... Know, press pause on this recording, everyone, and just read Revelation twenty two for a moment. <laughs> yeah, and nice. it's this amazing picture of the provision of God, of Him being at the centre, of us serving Him, um, in this just picture of extraordinary harmony. Mm. That's that's what it's going to be like. Yeah. Um, now you go back to the images in Genesis one, and you just see a picture of God providing everything mm. with humanity being created to be in the garden and look after it. So I presume there's still some work there. But at the same time, I think Revelation 22 surpasses Mm. the original, you know, Genesis 1 creation we're told about. So all of that is to say there's a bit of uncertainty about exactly what we're going to do. How is it going to be meaningful for the first part of his question? It's that Revelation 22. Mm. A picture of God being in the middle, a picture of harmony, a picture of God's provision. Um. You know, you go back Revelation 20, no more the, the, the other side of that coin, no more crying, mourning, pain. Yeah. It's very, very images we're giving. I think mm. just now I want that time to happen soon. Yeah, come yeah. Lord Jesus, that's yeah. right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so I think yeah. one of those questions where, I, I, at the yeah. end of the day, I think it's hard to answer definitively. Um, I think there's lots of things about the new creation we're not going to know mm-hmm. until we get there. Lots um, of
1: people have tried. <laughs> they have, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think I, yeah, I agree with you with, on this one. I mean, one of the traps is, well, work is bad and I hate work, so obviously there's going to be no work in heaven. Like, I think that's wrong because work was part of the creation. Like, Adam was told to work the ground, cultivate the garden, um, fill the earth and subdue it. Work's not bad. Um, it's only hard after the fall. So if there's work in heaven, don't dread it. Like, if there is work in heaven, it's going to be great.
1: Like, it'll be wonderful the way it was meant to be. It's going to be your dream job. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um. Although not in the way you think about your dream job currently, anyway. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Um. But I think I'm
0: inclined to say that Genesis 1 isn't... Like, that creation wasn't finished. Like, Adam's told to cultivate the garden and fill the earth and subdue it because creation's still going somewhere. It wasn't there. Whereas in the new creation, that is the end point. So if work is done and now it's all rest, that wouldn't surprise me either. I don't really know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> Let's put it that way, yeah. All right. Um... Couple of kind of really land us like as you head out into um, you know the rest of the week uh, thinking about how we apply this. Uh, how do we really fear God and live our lives without micromanaging our lives? Um, we also want to know how to make decisions that require us. Sorry, let me read this again. There's double negative here. Um, how do we make decisions, uh, and does that require us to always seek a clear sign from God? Um, yeah, sorry, I'm having a bit of trouble passing the question. But I guess this person's thinking about as we fear God, does that mean like maybe examining every moment of our lives and thinking about every single decision we make? Like, yeah, how does that all relate to fearing God, our day by day
1: decisions? Yeah, and you know, I wanna say yes to that. That's just the way you put that. Mm. Does it involve every part of your being being reorientated to think about what it looks like to fear God? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely yeah in fact the end of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 12 what is it verse 13 fear God and keep his commandments mm. it's not just the general esoteric thing it's it, it does land in very and the Bible talks about all kinds of ways mm. and all kinds of application in ways I don't think we often think about yeah loving each other um, particularly those in the household of God is one expression of fearing God. Mm. And I don't. I think that's an endless, limitless application. Yeah. Now there are other things that let's not overthink it, you know. But mm-hmm. you know, but you know, Philip Jensen just just had the line I remember quite deeply, which often our decision making processes are all wrong. The things we think are important, not important. The things that aren't important, probably are. Mm. So, so I want to say, yes, you know, how do we really fear God and live our lives without? you know, micromanaging. Sometimes we need to micromanage, that's what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, And at the same time, there are lots of decisions where we're not going to have a clear sign from God. Yeah. In which case, either it doesn't really matter which way you go, A or B, Mm. but sometimes it does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Maybe one other, uh, just coming from another angle, I think another thing that makes me think of is the, the importance of habit. Like, if every single decision of your life, every second, you're consciously kind of thinking, oh, how do I make a decision to honour the Lord? Like, you, you would drive yourself crazy if you... Like, how do you get anything done at that point? Um, but I think, like, how we make all the decisions about the habits we want to cultivate in our lives so that we honour God without having to decide that we're going to do that in every second of the day, I think it's important. So, like, you know, if, you, if every Sunday you're like, oh, should I go to church this week? Like, um, if, if you're constantly having to make that decision every week then sometimes maybe you'll get it right sometimes you won't if you just say no like that's that's what we do you know as, a, as an individual or as a family we go to church like that's our habit and if you're in that pattern you don't have to think about it you're doing the right thing honouring God without having to micromanage it because you've resolved from the start that that's the habit to cultivate and yeah. you gonna apply yeah, that in all sorts of areas too yeah. yeah last uh, question we're on the the final question uh, someone's asked the message that we cannot control what happens to us that's what we've seen in cleats 3 um isn't the issue then how we respond to what happens to us what is our response to the things that happen to us each day
1: um yeah look that's a great question which one could take as a statement almost because i think it's right Mm. so partly um you know those seasons i think i i put it in these terms sam had some technical language coming out of his arts degree. It's great to see he learned something in his <laughs> arts degree. Um, but some mm. of these seasons, absolutely, we, we can't control what happens. And other things it's saying here mm. is to work out what it means, what it looks like to act appropriately with, with the season when it comes. Yeah. And so I think there's elements of both to that. And you go through the Bible and you see exactly the same thing. Mm. In all kinds of we just talked about, you know, loving people and the way that looks is going to be is going to vary. Yeah. so I, I think this question is linked to the previous one mm. actually in a previous discussion we just had Jack that um, what is our response to things that happen to us each day well it depends on what they are and it depends on the season that's coming to you each day Yeah. and act appropriately mm. um, in a framework that fears God
0: yeah good place yeah. to land it we, we can't yeah. speak to all the situations but that's the overarching thing isn't it like whatever comes good or bad the response is God set this up for us to fear him so how are we going to rightly honour him as the Lord and judge if he is yeah yeah. good place for us to leave it there man we've had some some cracking questions there some good discussions we hope that's been helpful for you as we wrestle with this challenging but wonderful part of God's word Raj can you give us a quick teaser Sunday we're coming into Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and what are we going to find there
1: so, look, Ecclesiastes 5 is one that focuses... We're coming from eight, verse 8 to verse 20, and that is... The topic of wealth keeps coming up, but mm. here is a section that really talks a lot about that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a huge thing for our world. I think it's a huge thing for our hearts. It's a huge thing for my heart. Mm. And we live in such a materialistic world. Yes, we talk about it, you know, in a sense, graduating more to pleasure, and that's true, but wealth is just so intrinsic. Mm-hmm. And and we, I don't think we realise how rich we are. Um, and Ecclesiastes five, continuing on with the exploration, the search for meaning. This time in the accumulation of wealth and treasures. It's yeah, it's it's going to be great. Yeah. And helpful and challenging all at the same time. That's
0: right. Yeah. Come expecting to be to be kind of stung and urged on by the word of God. Looking forward to it. And for all our extras listeners, I'll be with you one more time next week as we grapple the questions from Ecclesiastes 5. But until then, enjoy your week serving the Lord, enjoying His creation with Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on Sunday. God bless. Thanks,
1: Jack. Thanks, everyone.